The Rural Health Voice, Episode 55, Workforce Development. Welcome to The Rural Health Voice. I am Beth O'Connor, your host. We discuss rural health issues at the grassroots level and how state and federal policies play out in our local communities. What is the connection between workforce and health? Marty Holliday, Executive Director of the New River Mount Rogers Workforce Development Board, joined me to discuss their new initiative to get people back on a career path. So welcome, Marty. Well, thank you for having me today, Beth. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. Glad you could join us. Yeah, I want to look at a little bit of background first. How did you first get interested in workforce development? You know, I think I sort of fell into it. Uh, we had moved, uh, well, my background is in human resource management. That's what my degree is in. And so I was doing a lot of corporate training and truthfully kind of wanted to find that sort of position when we moved here from Florida, which I was unable to at the time. Uh, what I did know was the actual nuts and bolts of human resource management was not my skill set. Um, you know, there's a lot of regulatory, and yet here I am, but uh, at the time, a lot of regulatory kind of stuff, and I just felt that that wasn't my strength. Uh, I had gotten a job once I got here, and, um, you know, it also was not me, uh, and it just so happened that the uh, Workforce Board had a, uh, a job opening as an administrative assistant. And uh, I just went, oh, well, what the heck, you know? And I came in and I uh, interviewed for it. And Ronnie Martin, who was the executive director at the time, you know, kind of went, well, I don't really think you're a good fit for this, but I'm just going to put your resume here in my drawer in case something comes up. Truthfully, I thought, well, that's the end of this conversation. What I didn't realize at the time is they were in the middle of beginning this. Um, community audit, uh, which is, you know, kind of not unlike a strategic plan, but trying to identify what was going on in the community economic-wise. And in my previous life, I had done a lot of center openings for our company. So we did marketing analysis. That's a lot of what my job had been along with training. Uh, and and they did call me back and they did hire me. And that was uh, November of 2001. Uh, they didn't really know what they wanted to do with me per se. So I was lucky enough to be able to, in lots of ways, carve out where my strength was based on what I did and what needed to be done in the region and assist the organization in kind of shifting over the course of time on how we looked at our role in this big puzzle. Uh, so yeah, I just fell into it and I, I was very, very lucky. So what does the Workforce Board do? Well, we actually have two boards and I, I have to tell you about one before I can tell you about the other. All so right. the way the law worked, and at first it was the Workforce uh, Investment Act of 1998 uh, which then switched to the Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act of 2014. But basically, localities determine that they're going to be a region. Uh, 
because the workforce boards oversee federal and employment training activities within a certain footprint. And so the 13 localities of the New River Valley Planning District and the Mount Rogers Planning District got together and decided back in 2000 that they were going to be a region. And in 2010, those localities came back together and signed a, an, an agreement um, that allows them to function just like a single locality. Technically, they could tax, they can own property, uh, they could do everything a locality does, but they do it as this consortium board. And that consortium board actually appoints members to the workforce development board, which is really what the federal government in lots of ways recognizes as the component of the workforce system that is doing this kind of overview of the system. And so the vision uh, in our footprint between these two boards is they want to ensure that every business has access to the qualified job-ready workforce that they need in order to be competitive in their marketplace. But on the flip side of that coin, we're also to ensure that the citizens we touch and work with, uh, they have the skills necessary for those meaningful, sustainable uh, jobs where they can receive competitive wages and have opportunities for career advancement. And so as you can imagine, that, that sometimes doesn't always mesh, you know, when you're trying to meet a business need and also trying to ensure that those workers uh, get that um, fair wage that's a family sustaining wage. Uh, so the workforce board, and we it's a very large board, by the way, we probably have 30 members on our board, is made up of 51% business. And each locality of those 13 localities, they could have up to two business reps. Thank God they don't all do that. But they could have up to two business reps sitting on the board. And then the board is made up of other federally required members such as economic development, education, labor, and community organizations all also have to sit on this board because we're looking at and we're framing uh, workforce activities uh, that meet in conjunction with local funding, state funding, and federal funding. The workforce board also by those 13 local elected officials has been designated as the regional's convener of the workforce system. And I like to tell people, we are nobody's boss. It is just our task to get everybody into the sandbox playing nicely together, which is the cat herding portion of our job, but basically that's what we're supposed to do. And so the workforce system is quite large. It's K-12 education post-secondary education, and that's community colleges, four-year colleges, and other training providers. It is adult education, and it is the organizations and agencies that oversee employment and training programs for special populations, which could be veterans, individuals who are unemployed or underemployed, older workers, workers with disabilities, those that are economically disadvantaged, and youth. So that's kind of our task, is to try to get all of those systems to work and function together to support those businesses and those job seekers. Okay. 
And how is the LOCO board connected to Virginia CareerWorks? Well, we are part of Virginia CareerWorks. So Virginia CareerWorks, what the states did, not all states, but lots of states have begun to do. So about five years ago, if you would have tried to find us, you would have only found us under the heading of the New River Mount Rogers Workforce Development Board. We are one of 15 boards in the state of Virginia, each of them serving their own geographic locality, localities in most cases. Uh, all of those boards had their own name. <laughs> so if you moved from Richmond to Radford, you might never be able to figure out how to connect to the system because we were all known by something different. Uh, so about four years ago, the state of Virginia began a branding um, activity. And through this process, uh, we are all now dubbed as the Virginia CareerWorks um, system. And so we are Virginia CareerWorks New River Mount Rogers region. And our individual centers are also known as Virginia CareerWorks Radford or Virginia CareerWorks Woodville. So what Virginia did was try to make it so businesses and individuals could find us no matter where they were. What do you see as the connection between workforce development and health? You know, that's, that's so funny that you should ask that because that is one of the things that when you first glance at this, you go, oh, no connection. Uh, but not so, uh, both on the physical and the mental health side. So what we do know um, even those of us that don't know aren't healthcare providers in any stretch of the imagination. We do recognize an individual's physical health will, in fact, impact their work life. Okay, if they're a smoker or a heavy drinker or they have many other kinds of underlying health issues they're obviously going to impact the company that they work for, their insurance that they offer. Um, but we also recognize it just as your ability to be able to show up for work every day and to function. Yeah, we all get sick. Uh, that can happen, and I don't care how healthy you are. Uh, and, and certainly in the current stage of, of the life of COVID, we've recognized that getting sick may have nothing to do with your actual underlying health issues or not having them. Uh, but we do know people that, that have lots of health issues may not be able to go to work every single day. They may have more um, absenteeism uh, or the inability to do certain tasks. So we, we see that ensuring that workers have good health care, access to good health care is incredibly important um, that they're getting information about food and substance use uh, in such a fashion that they don't ignore it, going, gee, that just sounds like my mother talking to me, um, but that it's something that they can resonate with and recognize how it might be impacting their own quality of life. So there is that direct link that way. And mental health is the exact same thing. Uh, in in a world of most of our jobs, and truthfully, if you're working a job with no stress, I would really like to know what you're doing. Because uh, <laughs> maybe I want to do that. Uh, because I think all jobs have certain levels of stress. 
And, you know, that can impact not only, by the way, your physical health, because it most certainly can, uh, but it also impacts your general mental health. And that is something we just don't talk about. Uh, individuals who suffer from certain kinds of mental health illness that are perfectly able, willing, and capable of working like any of the rest of us don't want to talk about their mental health issues and so that's certainly they're right but because it's mostly due to fear where if they could go to hr and have those conversations without fear of any kind of uh, retaliation in any way shape or form or having people look at them differently now because i've come forth and i've told you that i suffer from uh, a diagnosed anxiety disorder or i suffer from depression um and I tell you, I would tell my HR people those things because there may be things that happen in my life or at work that impact my mental health. And, um, you know, I may have, I, I may show certain behaviors. Uh, it's the same with knowing somebody has diabetes and all of a sudden they're doing something really odd at uh, the office. And because you already know they suffer from this, you might immediately click in, oh my gosh, you know, they're having some, they're going into insulin shock or something else that would trigger that knowledge. And you're going to respond by calling either A, you already know what they need, or B, you're going to call 911. Um, and nobody's going to think anything of it because that's an acceptable, quote unquote, health issue. And um, we just recognize that in order to have a quality workforce, not only do people need to have good education and great sets of skills, uh, but we've also got to ensure people have good health, and that's physical health and mental health. And with that, you mentioned substance use disorders. Tell me about the grant you recently received from the Appalachian Regional Commission. Well, I'm, I'm so glad you asked about that, too, because it's new and it's high on our board uh, mind. Matter of fact, we probably spent a good deal today at a board meeting talking about it. So our Pathways to a Strong and Healthy Region is an Appalachian Regional Commission's uh, power grant. It's going to be a three-year project that start, started January 1st. And... Um, the first three months, which we're still in, thank goodness, is that startup just trying to get all of our ducks in a row as to how we will move forward with this. And it's got uh, about three legs to it. So the first leg is doing what we do, which is helping people get access to training and then helping them get employed. And so we will be serving individuals uh, with substance use disorder, um, getting some training, which will lead to employment in the region. Now, a large number of those that we will be training will be for peer recovery specialists. Uh, one of the things we do recognize in the region is the, the lack of access to assistance for individuals, support for individuals in with substance use disorder. So just uh, helping to build the capacity of the region uh, to meet those needs, uh, the peer recovery specialist will just be, you know, quite frankly, probably a drop in the bucket, but at least it's something going into that bucket. 
But not everybody is going to be cut out to be a peer recovery specialist that we serve. Uh, So some of these individuals may choose to get training in any number of things. Maybe they want to uh, become a welder. Um, Maybe they want to um, work in uh, the IT industry. So we have many other occupations that we're going to assist individuals with getting the appropriate training and then helping them find employment in those careers. One leg of the stool. Second leg of the stool going still back to that capacity, we will probably be helping about 30 individuals who are either students or already in their career in healthcare or health and human services uh, to get some type of additional training and certification that would enable them to better serve individuals with substance use disorder. So that's the, the second leg of the stool. And the third one is actually maybe most of the stool, not only a leg, but part of the seat, because that is helping us develop a recovery ready region. And that one there, uh, and as you know, Beth, we will be working uh, with your organizations uh, with that. That is such a big thing because it's going to be uh, looking at number one, what what are the resources we have here in the region that are serving individuals with substance use disorder. Taking a look at each locality individually, not as a group, but individually, what's happening in this particular locality? Do they have drug courts? Are there, uh, is there a community service board office in this particular locality? Are there other organizations and agencies, including faith-based organizations that might be working with individuals uh, with substance use disorder? And then trying to fill, figure out across the region, what do we have? Uh, there is a, a model for Recovery Ready Region that has about, I don't know, 15 different components to it. Does it have this? Does it have that? And we're going to be trying to kind of go through that checkbox. What do we have? What don't we have? You know, maybe one locality at one end has something that the other locality at the other end doesn't have. And, and how do we aid in building the capacity of the region just by knowing what's here and what the gaps are, uh, what we need to go forward with, with trying to fill. So that not at the end of this particular grant will we be a quote-unquote recovery-ready region, although wouldn't that be lovely, Uh, but at the end of this three-year journey, we know what we're missing. We know what we have, and we know what we're missing, and we can put a plan in place to begin to fill those gaps. So you've got a lot of services, or going to have a lot of services, uh, looking to help people um, with substance use disorders, um, you know, coming out of treatment, going into recovery. Yeah, but it, it seems to me there'd be some people that, that would question that efforts and say, oh, you know, you're, ju- you're just coddling them or you're enabling their behaviors. What would your response to that be? You know, self-respect is something you cannot put a price on. And I look at the work that we're doing, whether we're doing it for somebody who has lost their job due to no fault of their own, or we're doing it for a single mother, or we're doing it for a youth that has never performed well in school, or we're doing it from somebody who's recently been released from prison, or we're doing it for somebody with substance use disorder. 
many of us, a piece of our self-respect is quite frankly tied to our vocation, what we get up and go to work and do every single day. I know I can definitely tell you that part of how I identify myself is what I do for work. Right, wrong, or indifferent, that is part of how I identify myself. And it is part of my personal self-respect for myself. And everybody should have that opportunity. We're not coddling these people in, a, in, in such a way that we don't want them to stand on their own two feet. But what we do want to do is aid in their ability to get back up on their feet so that they can begin to take all these steps for themselves. But truthfully, our system isn't cut out you know, the system in general, our world around us, isn't really cut out for people who don't fit the mold pretty quickly. You know, if you can't slide yourself into a slot, you're going to struggle. And lots of times, those are people we're helping, are just the people who cannot fit into a slot quickly. We want them to find the slot that works for them. And truthfully, we want to find, we just don't want to get them a job We want to get them a job that can lead to something else. But on the business side, if we really know the businesses we're working with, we want to find them the talent that they need in order to be competitive. And sometimes that talent has a disability. That talent used to be somebody that abused some type of substance, or it was somebody who might have been in jail but it's still the best talent because once you uncover, help these people uncover what they're good at and something they themselves can believe in, sometimes these people end up being the best workers we have because they know they got a second chance and they really buy into it. So I, I, I don't think we're coddling them. We're trying to make our communities as strong as they can be, and they're going to be strong when everybody's working. Absolutely. So what are some of the barriers to employment for persons with substance use disorders? You know, it depends on what other baggage they come to us with, but many of them are going to come to us with some type of felony that was attached to their substance use disorder. Some of them are going to come with other labels um, and, and, and issues, and some of them may be physical, uh, depending upon what kind of substance they might have been abusing and for how long. Um, you know, they, they might have physical things that kind of have to be overcome because we are who we are. We do look at people and judge them pretty quickly. Uh, and by the way, I'm not pointing that finger at anybody. I, I'm as guilty as anyone with that particular uh, habit. Um, Frequently, they have lost their rights to drive, and we all know in this particular communities that we live in, um, for most of our localities, there is nothing, uh, there's no type of public transportation. So we have barriers that they're going to have to overcome in order to um, get to training and get to and from work once we get them to that stage. Many of them... um, maybe struggling with permanent housing. Uh, They're going to come to us with food insecurities. Uh, Many of them might have lost and are still working to get their children back. 
so an individual that's coming to us with a history of substance use disorder um, could have a host of barriers. And those barriers, some of the things, you know, we can address with some of our funding. But truthfully, that's the place where we end up partnering with lots of other agencies and organizations, including faith-based organizations, uh, to meet the needs of these individuals so that we can provide them what they need to get up and over these barriers as they present themselves. And they don't all present themselves at the same time um, uh, to so that they can be successful. And of course, being connected to those organizations that are traditionally the supporters of those with substance use disorder, because many times it's a one step forward, two steps back, I've come to a complete stop, it's another step forward. You know, this is not a journey that just happens from point A to point B. It's going to go up and around the bend and over and around the corner and under uh, with a host of issues that could go awry at any point in time. And so the more partners we have working with us uh, to support these individuals and to get them back on track with whatever it was that went off the rails for just today or the last whole week, um, we're going to ensure that more people successfully make their way into employment. And then we're not just going to cut them off because we do recognize that employment itself for some individuals could be one of those stressor triggers that, quite frankly, may have started them down the road of substance use in the beginning. So how can we um, help and guide them to recognize what those triggering points are and a different methodology of trying to find a way to release that stress uh, that they may be suffering? So it, it uh, lots of different kinds of barriers and no two people are going to be the same. You know, we're going to serve 50 people and I'm going to tell you 50 people are going to need totally different plans to get them from where they are into a self-sustaining wage employment. Um, and one of the ways that we, we do that, Beth, is through these integrated resource teams. And that's all the partners that are going to be needed, all the agencies and organizations to serve this individual are part of the team for this individual and with this individual. The individual themselves are part of the team because they're going to help map out what they need to do and where they want to go. And they're going to be integral in ensuring all the pieces happen in place so that they can get uh, to their end employment goal and be successful there. Why would a potential employer be interested in hiring somebody who's in recovery from a substance use disorder? Well, it does go back to what I've talked earlier, and that's the business themselves needs talent. And they need a specific kind of talent. Uh, all of our businesses don't need the same. Even if they all need welders, I'm going to tell you the kind of welder they need. It's all different. Uh, IT professionals, different skill sets for almost every business. But they need talent for themselves to be successful to complete the work they need to, to get done, whatever it is, it's making something, it's selling a service, whatever it is. What we wanna do is ensure that they have a 
a platter full of talent to choose from. And to be honest with you, individuals with substance use disorder are still going to be talented. They're still going to have necessary skills if we do the right job on our end of assessing this individual, ensuring they get into the right occupational skills training to get the necessary talent and helping them get those certifications they need to prove that they're the right talent, then that is still a good hire. Again, it goes back to nobody bats an eyelash for hiring somebody with potentially with diabetes. Uh, or, you know, maybe I'm an IT professional, but I'm sitting in a, in a, in a wheelchair. I can still do that job. You know, it's, it's what talent do you need? And a business should want to be able to hire the best talent. And we want to ensure that we take these individuals that we're serving through the power initiative and getting them occupational skills training that they will have the talent necessary to get these better jobs. So it's all about the business wanting good talent and we want to give them good talent. How can employers get involved in the Workforce Development Board? Well, one of the ways they can truly help us, and, and we, we have a business services coordinator who reaches out uh, to businesses, and her name is Kimber Simmons, and they can uh, get onto our website and access her contact information or get in touch with me. One of the first things that they do, many times they reach out to us because, A, they need talent. They need help with recruitment. And she works with the business to develop a customized recruitment plan just for them. But in that process, one of the things we learn is what is their talent need? Who do they hire? What skill sets are required? What's the education or certifications that are required? How many of those do they have? What's their workplace conditions like? What are their hours like? You know, all of those things. The more we know about a business, the better we are going to be able to serve that business. So when they engage with us in this way, we're able to learn more. We adjust how we aid them in, in finding the talent that meets their needs. Um, we also begin to look at it, training programs that we engage with. You know, oh, really? That's the certification that you needed? Or... Oh, we, we, we completely misunderstood what that was, the skill set necessary for that particular job. Uh, so that's one of the ways, just that when they reach out to us for recruitment assistance, we begin to learn more. But we also have a number of businesses that are working with us right now across the region, helping us build what we refer to as career lattices within a specific industry. So in the IT industry, when we talk to IT companies, we like to show them this career lattice so that they can point out what occupations they have in their own company and where they fall along this lattice. You know, what's the entry level position and what do you need to go from entry level to the next level? Or at what point can you move into a whole different career pathway, you know, within the IT industry? And what does that look like? Again, it's aiding us in, in better meeting the needs of businesses because we understand what they're looking for, but it also aids us in serving those job seekers because you know what? We can train people all day long. No shortage of being able to get people training, but are we training them in the things that are going to lead to 
employment that will give these individuals family sustaining wages and an opportunity for career advancement. And that's really what our end goal is. So the more we learn about our region's businesses, they work with us in this capacity, the better we are of ensuring the businesses get what they want, but we're better at serving the individuals we serve and making sure they have what they need to get these better jobs. So I've got one last question. The question we ask all of our guests, if you could do anything, what would you do to improve health and healthcare in rural America? I get that this is a political hotspot button and I don't mean it to be. It is just truly what I would want in some way that everybody has access to information and quality healthcare. Uh, that it, to me, that's, that's, you know, I'm, I'm at a place in my life. So, okay. Just so people know I'm 62. So how I have viewed my physical health is much different than quite frankly, it was when I was even 45 and, and I'm lucky. I have a job. I have healthcare. I have the ability to find information. I have a doctor that I work with on a regular basis that talks to me quite openly about my health and what's changing. I would want that for everybody. Um, because I think without that information and without access to, um, the healthcare system that can provide you with more information. Um, it's, it's hard to be healthy if you have to do it all by yourself. And I just don't think it's possible. The, and the other component of that is access to quality food. You know, the ability to good, get good quality food and not have to be buying your food from a convenience store because that's the only thing available to you that you can get to. Excellent. Well, I can tell you, you were not the only guest that gave varieties of those exact answers. So political or not, <laughs> yep, it is it's what a, I believe. It's a popular opinion. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. Well, I'm so thankful that you gave me the opportunity to join you today, Beth. That's Marty Holiday advocating for easy access to health information and health care. If you want to be part of the conversation about substance use disorders, join the Appalachian Community's Opioid Response Summit. It will be hosted virtually May 19th and include participants from Kentucky, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, West Virginia, as well as here in Virginia. Check the show notes for details and registration. The Rural Health Voice is the podcast of the Virginia Rural Health Association. It is sponsored by the Virginia State Office of Rural Health and underwritten by the National Rural Health Association.